You're listening to Solar Insiders, the fortnightly podcast that shines the light on the world's biggest energy source. Solar Insiders is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy, and Sophie Voroth, the editor of One Step Off the Grid. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. And Nextracker, delivering the most advanced solar tracking technology and the highest performing solar assets in the country. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the founder and editor of Renew Economy and its EV-focused sister site, uh, The Driven. And I'm joined as usual by Sophie Voroth, the editor of another sister site, One Step Off The Grid. Sophie how are you? I trust you are well, as we say. <laughs> um, be sure I'm well. <laughs> you can be. <laughs> Excellent. Well, look, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Look, there's a bit of uh, solar news around in this past week. Um, most, uh, most notably, some records being set well, all across the grid, really, but some pretty spectacular ones in South Australia. Um, a warning from a emo about its desire to extend its ability to sort of switch off rooftop solar um, across the grid and not just in South Australia and uh, in, in Western Australia where it can already do such things. But um, you've actually got a really interesting interview um, about the development of a solar farm in New South Wales, the Avonlea Solar Farm, and just how the EPC contractor and the developers went about getting local engagement. Tell us a bit more about it and who you've talked to. Well, I talked to Justin Coburn from Beyond Energy, um, who has was leading the um, EPC part of the program for, for Beyond, and also Shantae Lyons, who is is in that community and is an Indigenous woman and a leader in that community, and just it uh, really there are a couple of extraordinary people to be honest. That I was a, it was a fantastic interview, and that they, they just um, worked really well together. I worked really well with the community. Um, around 30 people from their Indigenous community ended up working on the project. Um, this included spending a day at the local TAFE, getting everyone's paperwork up to scratch and things like that. But really the engagement, you know, if you listen to the interview, it, it's just fascinating how they did it, but it really sets a, a, a bar, I think, for for what should be done for, for all projects, transmission, renewables, batteries, anything. Um, and it shows that while it's not anything you can skimp on, it's not particularly difficult either. you just got to get out there and do it and you've got to listen and you've got to engage. You've got to care. Yeah. Let's have a listen to the interview with um, Shante Lyons and uh, Justin Coburn. Justin Coburn from Beyond, welcome to Solar Insiders. Thanks, Sophie. It's great to have you here. We're talking this week about community engagement because it's been a really hot topic with the growth in the large-scale solar development in particular because there's been a bit of community pushback. And I think what we're hearing commonly is that these companies come in, they build this solar farm and then they go again and what's in it for the community. Um, but what we have here is an example of, of what can be in it for the community and, and the many, many benefits that can come out of a good quality engagement. And um, Justin, tell us what Beyond's been doing with Avonlea. Yeah, so with Avonlea, I suppose to start with 
Beyond is a construction company, so we're only in there for the short 12 months really to get the solar farm built. But where we can really have an impact is around our training and employment. And what we've found from the previous solar farms that we've built is that there's great opportunity for employment for people facing barriers to employment. So particularly, for example, women, uh, people from migrant backgrounds and First Nations communities. And particularly these projects being built in regional areas where there's high numbers of First Nations communities, there's a real impact there. And what we've learned is that it's not just a matter of offering jobs um, and saying they're available, but a lot of these people are facing barriers to employment. So we really focus on working with them to overcome these barriers. And a key to that is employing local First Nations people. So for example, on this project, we employed Shante Lyons and Jody, who worked on this project at the start to really help engage with the community and say that there's not just jobs out there, but if you're willing to um, have a go, we will work with you to get those. So Shante can speak to those barriers to employment, but that's pretty much the model that we developed. And what we found is that a lot of these people are long-term unemployed and, and have got to the point where they've sort of almost given up looking for work. And it's almost, you know, at the start, it's like too good to believe that they're gonna get these job opportunities that are pretty well paid for regional areas um, and they're gonna get a start. So it's sort of assuring them that there is a job that will, will support them through that. So we support them through that employment process. But I think at the same time, you know, recruiting is one aspect, it's retaining is the key. And the retaining is that is through um, creating a culturally safe site. And we do that through, we do cultural awareness training, cultural safety training, mm -hmm. and we do events such as NAIDOC week, reconciliation week. We have Aboriginal art around site. We have Aboriginal art on the PPE. And we really um, make people feel proud of their local culture. And it's really, noticeable to see that change when people come start at work at a little bit you know um, shy and reserved but really take mm -hmm. ownership on it and see them develop and multiple examples so with the Avonlea solar farm we ended up employing over 30 Aboriginal women and men from the local community on that farm mm -hmm. if we had done a normal engagement process we might have got half a dozen and who knows if they had have stayed but that was the outcome we had and the other approach and this is a role that Shante played and, and Shante can speak to this as well but we also found that getting people back into the workforce once they're back their self-esteem is built up they've got a regular income they want to continue that and there's plenty of opportunities around there but we really work closely with them and Shante played a role in this in making sure they get ongoing employment so that's sort of an overview of the program mm -hmm. but Shante's probably better place to speak to some of the impacts okay. that it's had. Before we hear from Shantae, who we've had on the line here, um, I will just clarify, where, where are we exactly in, in, we're in New South Wales? Yeah, so we're in uh, the community of Narandra. Yep. So, which is about an hour east of Wagga Wagga, mm -hmm. which has a population of about 4,000 people and about 600 uh, Wiradjuri people, First Nations people there. Okay. All right, time to hear from you, Shante. Hey, how are you going, Soph? Very well. Now, Justin was saying, you know, if ahead of done normal engagement, you know, you might have got, you know, half a dozen, I mean, a dozen employees, but obviously this wasn't a normal engagement and you were a part of that 
um, over and above. And so talk us through that. H- how did you come into the project and, and what, what, what happened from there? Um, actually, Dustin come to the community and met with our elders first and that's how um, he actually come into the community and he had a meeting down at the Sandhills, which is a gathering place in our community um, where a lot of yarning's done. And I, and I suppose that first initial engagement Justin did was done that well that our community really come on board with what was going on at Avonlea and, and especially that pre-employment stuff. So um, we we ran, we, because we come from the community, I actually know what barriers are in the community. So we had a gathering day down at the park and there was about 70 or 80 people. There was a lot of people there from the community. A few were elders. A lot were elders, just sticky beacon. But out of that um, gathering, we actually got... 30, around 30, a a bit more I think there was, um, who wanted employment out there. A lot of of the people that had put their names down and wanted employment had never been employed before. A lot of them were women. Um, We did women in solar. So um, a lot of our women, especially Aboriginal women from our community, have never been employed before. They had kids young like me. And... um, you know, had never had access to or never had an opportunity to um, have employment. So what we did from that gathering, we set up ID days. We had, um, we did it through, <laughs> so a lot of our women I, and our men, I spoke through an interview, how an interview run. So that engagement, I think, from the very beginning and even all the way through really led to us having 30 people out at the farm. And so, sorry, can I just ask what what's an ID day? Oh, so a lot of our mobbing community don't have identification. So, a lot of them, if they are on Centrelink, they'll have a CRN number, but they don't have birth certificates. They don't have Medicare cards. Um, a lot of them hadn't had any training as well, so they needed USIs. Um, so what we did was we held a um, ID day at the TAFE. And we got their birth certificates. We got we applied for their Medicare cards. We got their USIs. We also set them up with providers. If they already weren't with providers, um, we set them up with providers in the community so that we could do some training um, through those providers. We actually end up not didn't use the providers. We utilised what Beyond had, which was the training for a week, um, mm-hmm. to get them job ready. And then we also utilised other resources that maybe should have been in the community but had never been utilised before. And so we used them for the white card. So to get um, people, like to get community out there, we needed to have, they needed to have a white card. So we utilised resources that were already here but never been utilised by Aboriginal people. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the, out, out of our engagement, a lot of the resources that were meant to be in community that had never been utilised were actually being utilised now by community. Fantastic. And so what sort of jobs are we talking? So basically a lot of these jobs are labouring jobs. So basically on a solar farm it's divided up into what we call the mechanical, which is basically setting everything up to install the solar panels. And then there's electrical, which is done by qualified electricians, which is connecting it all together. So on the mechanical side, there's we would have you know over 100 workers there, and that's where the opportunities are because... 
people learn these tasks on the job so they don't have to have um, pre pre-employment or experience they just have to really want to have a go at doing it and you know it's not easy work it's 50 odd hours a week and you know so it is a fair fair effort but you know we had remarkable retention rates and success stories and I and Shante touched on you know women that hadn't worked before we had one woman there who was a, a grandmother this was her first job we weren't sure how she would go Belinda but she just she was one of our best workers in the end she stayed right on to the end we kept her on to the last because yep. she was so good she was so positive she never missed a day and you know I suppose that's a really good example of it was a win for everybody in that you know we it's not just it's doing the right thing because it's doing the right thing but it's actually good for business mm -hmm. because we got 30 local workers who were really good workers mm. that we otherwise wouldn't have got and at the same time created good relationships with the local community and i think it's good to note that also that you know beyond is the construction company ebadrola owns the project mm. they're the ones that'll be there for 25 years but because of those relationships that we built and established with the community ebadrola have have built on those as well and supported a local community organization um as well so the impact will be ongoing for quite a while in terms of you know the impact of the local community but maybe Shantae you could speak a bit to that and also just in terms of ongoing employment that some of these workers have got yeah so um, we did get 30 people out to the farm and um, a lot of those now I think there's only one out of the 30 something that we had out the farm have actually got full-time employment so what I what we did out there was we looked at what was coming to the community what we, we've got two major highways here so there was a lot of traffic so what we did after the farm was we held a traffic control course and it set people up. We've also got people now on Narendra Shire Council. So we've never had a relationship. Aboriginal people have got a really bad relationship with the council in the past. Right. But what Beyond did um, through its engagement was kind of build a relationship, a bridge there where, um, you know, our voices were being heard from community. Fantastic. And what it did was actually employ... I think it was two or three Aboriginal people from our own community, which may not seem huge to most people, but that's three Aboriginal people from our community who now have full-time employment. Mm. Not only that, they're, you know, we feed our kids and we feed our own families first, but we also feed into our community and support our community through that employment. And I think that's what we've seen a lot of. You know, we had 30, we only had 30, and people look at it like only 30. But what we did was, out of that 30 we employed, we're actually feeding a whole community mm. here. We're supporting a whole community off the back of 30 people, which is huge, especially in our community where there's not any opportunities. We have high incarceration rates. There's a lot of mental health in our community because it's not being supported by government. We've got health issues here that haven't been dealt with for 20 or 30 years. So you may not think that these opportunities um, that be on brought to our community will be huge, but they are. Mm. They're huge and they, and it seems to be everlasting now. Yeah. So then people have now gone on to um, employment, but also even Ebadrola, like at the very beginning, Ebadrola didn't really come into it. Beyond, we had a formed a really, Justin formed a really good relationship here, not only with our elders, young people, anyone who wanted employment or even wanted to have a yarn yeah. to be on. 
they were there and I think that makes a huge difference. But what it did was it set our organisation up, which has not been funded for seven or eight years. Um, we've got no supports or resources in our community. What Eva Droller come in, because of Beyond's relationship with the community, it actually sent pathways for Eva Droller to come in and make a relationship here. Yep. And what they did with Ganyari was support us to, to for Ganyari to get a bus, to also um, build a kitchen. Our kitchen wasn't WHS, so then we couldn't utilise it within community. Mm-hmm. Um, so they... They bought a bus. They um, supported us to build a kitchen out the back, which is WHS. And and that supports community, not only programs that we will run here, but will support community with our wakes. We've got a lot of funerals in community, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of funerals. And um, we have wakes, you know, if if we're not having a funeral every week or every couple of weeks. So that will also support wakes, programs, young and old. So it will really support mob, you know, with with things that we actually needed on a day-to-day basis. And what about the power supply for your community? Like obviously this this solar farm's there. Oh, well, that's it's funny that you bring that up because what happened was um, Beyond actually come in and um, they said like we, did, we didn't have solar. Mm. We didn't have solar on Ganyari or any of the houses, um, every, any Aboriginal community housing, we didn't have solar. So what Beyond did was actually come in and did like put solar on our houses, put solar on our organisation and actually we didn't pay a cent. They really supported our community to um, get into the renewable energy, um, well, not the sector, but become more, you know, our clean energy. And, and I suppose, yeah, but our electricity bills here are just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you support an Aboriginal people to have long-term low um, electricity bills which then supports families to be fed yep like so that's it there's a flow-on effect from that and I think beyond you know they came to our community and really supported us and I think continue to mm. through the relationship that they built here. Justin can you talk about that part of the program? Yeah sure I suppose that was our way of thanking the local community in Narandra for all the support on the solar farm and we decided that we'd put money back into it and obviously as a company building solar farms we thought the best way was to help out with some solar um, projects so we put solar on the local community co-op and five community aboriginal community owned homes and you know i think that's addressing a need within communities it's often those who are least able to afford the high electricity bills can least afford uh solar yeah so we you know we we wanted to address that um, challenge. And we did that. Um, we actually also, Next Gen Electrical um, did the installation that we organised and they also organised some training for locals around solar installs. So there's sort of ongoing benefits of that as well. And it's a, it's a model that we, we want to try and expand and replicate you know, in future projects if we can as well. That's really great. And for you, Shante, what... What does how's this changed things for you and and going forward, what does it mean for you? I mean, you you. I just want to add that you've been pretty much running this podcast since we started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry about no, that. No, no, no. It's good. I, I talk I, I, a lot. I, no, I mean, I mean, technically, because we had a few technical glitches at the start, and Justin was letting the sun down. That was down, my fault. Yeah, and uh, Shante was all over it. So, what's the future hold for you? 
I think um, the future for the community is looking much brighter since Beyond's come in. I, I don't know um, if they understand how grateful our community is to for what they've done. Um, but I think our, our future looks quite bright here. We've got 30 Aboriginal people that were never employed and never looked to get employment before this, fully employed. Now they're supporting their families, they're supporting the community, you know, you couldn't ask much more than that, you know, when you can come home with a paycheck and support your family. Um, I suppose in bigger places, they don't look at things like that, but in small communities like ours, um, it's really addressed unemployment, not only unemployment, but, um, you know, our connection to our families, our connection to community um, through work and through employment. Yep. Um, and it's built, a it's, it's built the community up stronger, I think, and, you know, that's what you want to do if you're engaging with Aboriginal communities like ours. And they're all along that line. They're all along that trans grid line is to build a community up, come in, build it up, try and put um, foundations in that can really hold community strong. And I think that's what Beyond did here. Mm. Like there's, we're much stronger as a community, especially through the employment out there because of that. And I think our people wouldn't have been given that opportunity, especially a lot of our incarcerated males that had never had an opportunity um, before to get employment. Yep. And I think that that's a huge thing, you know, building our men up in community. Um, as we know, a lot of men in our community, um, our incarceration rates are ridiculous, you know. So um, when we get our men that just get out, there's no programs in our community to help them to move back into society and our community properly. So things like employment, what Beyond brought to our community is much bigger than, um, you know, engaging in community and much bigger than, um, you know, uh, it's much bigger than what it looks. It's, it's, I think it's how you come in, how you do it and how you can do a great job in community. Yeah. Um, and support community through initiatives that, you know, that Beyond had. Hmm. So what would be your message? Because there is a lot of talk about engagement and how important social licence is and all of that, um, and it is hugely important. But um, what message would you give to developers and, and also companies like Beyond, EPC companies, you know, just to do a do a better job, like uh, not to take away from Beyond's work, but it, it's not that complicated, is it? It's it's it it is it takes effort and it takes it takes um, proper engagement and people like Justin. But communities can expect more, can't they? Communities can expect more and should expect more, but I think it's about that first step, Sophie. I think it's about your company wanting to do that and wanting to do a great job. I think, you know, Beyond, you know, I've, I've met a lot of companies and I, and I suppose I'm working with a builder's company at the moment, but I think Beyond are leading the way in regards to engagement with Aboriginal people because they've done such a great job. I think it's up to companies to really want to go in and do really good engagement. I don't think um, a lot of companies that are on the ground even now are doing any, they're not doing great jobs. So they really need to look at how they're engaging with community. And, you know, like when you're going out to community and engaging, you, you, you're building re relationships that should be last and not relationships for that one day while you're out there for an hour. They should be meaningful. Um, and I think Beyond has done that. And I think 
no, a lot of companies could look to be on or companies like B and I haven't really spark of probably, you know, looking at that as well. But Beyond have led the way in, in regards to a building company coming into it and engaging in community. I think, you know, a lot of companies could come after that and do really good jobs. And I think the first step is is looking at reconciliation action plans, but actually not only identifying what community needs are, but identifying that you want to do it, your company wants to do it, and Aboriginal people, you know, it's needed in community. Yeah. It's really needed. Yeah, and as you were saying, Justin, it's not just one way. It's it's a a win for the company as well to engage on that level because it just gets better results all around. What would be your advice to other companies on how best to get in there and engage properly and to really make meaningful change? Yeah, I think just to just touch on your first point about being it mutually beneficial. You know, I think the the benefits that we've got as a business from doing this has has been high you know and not least of which is this our workforce have a greater understanding of aboriginal culture history connection to country and you know people appreciate that and we have you know our project construction managers site managers they're the ones that are creating these relationships and programs so i suppose and they're benefiting from it we have high retention rates we have good a good culture on site all of these things are important for a business. Um, so I suppose I just want to emphasize that point that there are so many benefits to this. And I suppose the other thing is, and, and Shunte touched on this by talking about the reconciliation action plan, but it has to be a whole of business mm-hmm. approach and it's not an add on to the business, but it's a central part of the business. Yep. And I think that's starting to change within the industry of, you know, of recognizing that, that it becomes a central part of delivery and it's included in that. So it's getting the whole workforce, you know, you know, for example, our rap champion is our Glenn Thompson, our, our GM, and, you know, from that level down, coming on and push. And even with Eva Droller, you know, as Shante said, the work that she has, that they have done has been really good in their follow-up there, but that's come from their CEO going in and meeting with um, the community and, you know, talking to them about their aspirations and supporting that. So it's about those relationships and direct relationships and listening, I suppose, yep. you know, of, of what, what those needs are and responding to those. Listening. It's a very, very good good concept that Australia could really yeah. get on board. <laughs> mm, uh, how could we do that? <laughs> I wonder. Um, well, it's been fantastic to talk to you both and fantastic to hear about this positive uh, outcome from this project um, and just I think it sets a standard for the for the industry of and this is and for you Shante you set a standard for what communities can expect and 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 upwards of that you know uh, often these are very big companies coming in and they have the resources to make change so it's great that it's being done thanks so um, and yeah thank you both and I look forward to ke- keeping in touch with you both and hearing what you get up to in the future terrific thank you thanks for the opportunity. And that was Justin Coburn from Beyond Energy Solutions and Shante Lyons from the local First Nations community. Um, yeah, look, a great story, Sophie, and one that's really um, probably not followed. You know, look, there's lots and lots of good stories. 
Um, but in an environment where we're hearing a lot of criticism and a lot of problems and poor engagement, I just think it's probably a, a lesson about how to go about it the right way because if we don't, then this energy transition is going to get stalled as it already looks like it has been. Yes, and, you know, speaking to Shantae, there's, you know, the engagement from other organisations, which we won't go into now, but hasn't been great and, and you know, there's a lot they could learn and as you say it's not even just about um, giving to these communities who so deserve it and who also so want to be involved and have a lot to offer but it's also about getting things done you know and and, and the very first stumbling block is going to be this and if you rub people up the wrong way from the word go then it's going to be a really long hard road for you uh, if you even get the project up at all. Yeah, and that's the truth. And we're just seeing, unfortunately, too many examples where people have just gone about it the wrong way. Mm. Um, and um, and that's unfortunate. And um, once the sort of horse is bolted, it's pretty hard to close the gate. And we've probably seen that in a few major transmission lines. I was quite shocked the other day to hear one of the major an- an transmission lines, the, um, the proposed developer talking about, well, there's about 500 landholders out there, but we haven't talked to 60 or 60% of them yeah. yet. And you're just going, guys. Yeah. Um, did, did you send homing pigeons? <laughs> well, apparently they sent a letter. But if people are not particularly signals. engaged, that, you know, they get a letter, a letter in the letterbox and they're just going, yeah, well, um, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. It's, um, it's probably, a, you know, a question of resources. But mm. I think this is... Um, is it's just got to show exactly the resources that you do need to to throw at these things. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. And if we do move into this sort of regime, particularly with the transmission lines of sort of compulsory acquisition, which is kind of what seems to be on the cards at the moment, although they're very, very sensitive about it, then um, then we're running into a whole um, heap of trouble and, um, and, and a wall of tears and, and opposition. Yes. And as Shantae said, there's communities like hers up and down the transmission lines that they're wanting to build. And so there's plenty of engagement there to be had and plenty of, you know, good stories to be told if that's, you know, the way they choose to go about it. You know, I certainly hope they do. Yeah, okay. So let's have a look at some of the other issues that we've, um, other other quick news, a quick, a quick run around. Um, and look, congratulations on the interview, by the way, that was, that was terrific. Um, look, we, um, it, it, spring is the season of records and particularly with solar because it's pretty sunny and the temperatures are pretty mild. So they eat up a lot of the generation uh, or the demand and send uh, the old uh, baseload generation down to record lows. And I think we've probably seen that in every state in the last uh, in the last uh, few weeks in Victoria, in New South Wales, and in South Australia. Uh, rooftop solar got to 120, no, sorry, rooftop solar got to 101.7% of demand in South Australia. Together with large-scale solar got to 126% of demand in South Australia. This is like for a five-minute trading period, but I mean, during the day, it's pretty much mopping up, you know, most of demand, uh, which is kind of okay in South Australia because there's no coal-fired power generators that people are trying to protect and everything else can switch itself off. But we're also seeing record lows in New South Wales, once again, driven by rooftop solar, which has gotten to over half of all um, demand. Uh, so coal-fired generation is being pushed down below 2 gigawatts. Uh, which is a record low and is actually less than one quarter of the coal capacity in that state. So it's kind of interesting. These are kind of playing into 
why the coal generators want to exit the grid and just sort of the power of the rooftop solar that's gathered on people's households. And look, we're seeing similar things in Victoria and Queensland, but this is a good thing. However, AEMO want to be able to control this big asset. There's about 20 gigawatts of rooftop solar out there at the moment. They could probably only control about half a gigawatt of it, if that, um, thanks to what they're doing in South Australia. They're probably going to get another 20 or 30 gigawatts into the system over the next 10 or 20 years. But they want to make sure that they can control it, Sophie. So what mm -hmm. are they suggesting? Well, so what they're suggesting is that they are able to use the same emergency backstop mechanism that they've already got in place in South Australia and WA, um, which means that at times where they worried that, you know, these huge amounts of solar, and I think they put it as seven errarings worth, um, doesn't destabilise the grid at sort of crucial times. So, you know, if, if there's some sort of disaster going on or, you know, and they just need to have that off, they can switch it off. Um, and, you know, it's... It's a rare thing. I think they've only done it once in South Australia, haven't they, since they introduced it there? I suspect it might be twice, twice. actually. Twice, okay. But, um, once, once, with, once with feeling. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, and look, and what they point out too is that um, they're also concerned that, you know, what happens if there's something like a lightning strike and then suddenly all these inverter-based power systems that are on our rooftops all suddenly trip off, you know, that's also could be a disaster. So they do need to have this sort of executive control um, and, as they say, it's, it's, it's an emergency backstop. The more important part of the equation is just having the, smart, the smarter inverters behind, behind those solar systems. So with these rules in place in Western Australia and South Australia, for consumers and industry it means that they have to install um, inverters that are able to to be, you know, ordered around from afar and Orchestrated, to, I think the yes. word. <laughs> to, to respond to instructions and do the right thing. Um, and this can be a real benefit for consumers because it means that instead of having to arbitrarily stop your output of solar, to, you know, limit it to five kilowatts or whatever it might be, you can actually probably most of the time, or not most of the time, but some of the time send a good deal more than that to the grid, but other times it'll be curtailed back. Um, when there's situations like you just mentioned where there's just huge amounts of solar on the grid. So it, it really makes sense. It seems a little bit like, um, you know, <laughs> the master's hand coming in to take control of our prized assets, but actually it's it's going to be a vital ingredient to to us all getting the most out of our assets as well. It just, you know, we've all just got to work together to coordinate it in the best possible way. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's not going to be retrospective for the uh, 20 gigawatts that's already there, and I guess they've kind of no. learned how to handle that much. It's really just a sort of, if they sort of double that capacity over the next 10 or 15 yeah. years, which is entirely likely, then that's going to be too much for them to sort of have to deal with because it's going to soak up all demand and basically sideline every other generation if they let that soak up demand. So they need to be able to yeah. sort of orchestrate that. And, and we're also talking, yeah. you know, large commercial systems that are, you know, bigger again and, and that kind of thing. So... You know, these all, it's important that, that they have a handle on these things instead of, you know, I mean, in the past, they haven't even known what's out there. So I think we're working off that base. And and I think there was a lot of pushback against this soul switch off idea at the start. But as they say, it's, it's not that they plan to do that all the time. And it's much more likely to be a dynamic thing. Hmm. 
Okay, well, look, I think that's probably a fair wrap for the um, for this episode. Um, look, thank you very much for your interview with um, Shante and uh, Justin about the Avonlea Sale Farm. That was um, really quite interesting, uh, fascinating stories, and just really informative and useful for people um, thinking about going out and developing new projects and um, a good uh, a good um, benchmark. Um, Benchmark, there you go. I was trying to think of the word. My mind went a blank. <laughs> it's okay. We're okay. Thank you very much, Sophie, uh, for doing that interview. Um, thanks for all the listeners out there. Uh, do check out some of our other podcasts, um, particularly the new Switched On podcast, on, focusing on all things electrification, and of course, the Energy Insiders podcast. Uh, this week, we have another one about sort of engagement from a different point of view in elsewhere in New South Wales uh, to do more with the transmission lines. So, that's going to be worth listening out for when that comes out at the end of the week and we'll be back with another episode of the solar insiders podcast in a fortnight we will bye for now bye solar insiders was brought to you by pylon pylon provides easy to use solar design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing no monthly costs and no locking contracts Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by NextTracker, delivering some of the highest-performing solar assets in the country. Like a sunflower follows the sun, NextTracker's market-leading solar solutions deliver optimal return on investment for utility solar farms in Australia. Check out their flagship NX Horizon Smart Solar Tracker, their intelligent optimization software, and the industry's most advanced terrain-following solar tracking technology, NX Horizon XTR.